Yesterday, uh, for me, was a very, very uh, active priest day. Uh, I had 9.30 in the morning. I was in Denham Springs at a baptism of a friend of mine from high school. Uh, came back on my way back, got a phone call to go and anoint somebody at St. Anne. Scarfed down lunch very quickly. One o'clock, had a funeral. Just in time, wrapped up that to get to St. Hilary for three o'clock confessions and four o'clock mass. Um, four sacraments. One funeral, uh, and then at the end of the day, a good dinner with mom and dad and just relaxing. As I got home last night, though, I was sitting back and kind of reflecting on the day, and I realized there were two things that really stuck out. The first thing was that was a lot. <laughs> it was a good day. It was a full day. It got everything from the excitement of a newborn, a two-month-old, to the saying goodbye to a 98-year-old grandmother, great-grandmother. Um, the full range of emotions, right? Tears of joy and sorrow, laughing because either I don't know what else to do because I'm hurting or laughing because we're just enjoying each other's company. It was a full range of emotions, a full day. It was a beautiful day. The second thing I noticed was I was exhausted. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure every Every parent here understands, especially if you've got multiple kids, like this is the kind of day of running around from place to place and dropping people off at this thing and picking them up from that club and making sure that everybody got to get to their practices and things at the same time. It was just a day of feeling spent but full. It was a very interesting feeling. And I think it was, it was timed perfectly that the Lord knew what he was doing because I didn't have a story for Mahamali this weekend and this is the kind of day Jesus had because this weekend our gospel is a continuation of last weekend's gospel and last weekend's gospel we hear that Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath in the morning preaching somebody steps out he exercises a demon out of a person in front of the group and then the gospel ends and today is part two. It picks up straight from there. And what do we hear? That Jesus then walks out of the, of the synagogue. He gets invited by Peter to come on over to his house where his mother-in-law is laid sick. So James, John, Peter, and Andrew go to Peter's house. He heals Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law. He visits with them for a while. And then the moment that the Sabbath is over, right? The Sabbath, this, this, this sacred day of rest for the Jewish people. The moment that the Sabbath is over, it says once the sun goes down, what happens? People come out of the woodwork to see Jesus. Because two things happened early in the day. Jesus exercised the demon and he healed a sick woman. And I got a feeling the people of Capernaum are nothing like the people of Gaines because the people of Capernaum talk. That's supposed to be funny, I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're nothing like Bayou people, because the people of Capernaum talk, because they saw, the people saw Jesus do this exorcism in the morning. And everybody's interested in it. And, and the people saw and heard that He healed Peter's mother-in-law. That someone was sick and He made them right. He cured them. So what do they do? Everybody that has any kind of oppression of a demon or anybody that's sick came out to him. Came to find him. Because they wanted to do, they wanted him to do for them what he had, what he had done for others. Now I think it's very interesting when we, when we reflect on that. 
Because what these people are doing, these crowds that are coming in to see Jesus, the whole town shows up, right? That means either people are sick or they're possessed. You might think that sometimes, like either they're sick or they're possessed. But the whole town shows up to meet Jesus because they recognize, because of what He's done, that He can do something for them, especially where they're most vulnerable. They have a faith just by seeing a couple of moments of Jesus' ministry that He can help them where they're most vulnerable. I think for us, that's the basics, that's the first, that's one of the initial teachings of our faith. I think that's one of the first things that we have to be convinced of if we're to live the Christian life to the fullest extent. That, Lord, when I'm most vulnerable, do I believe that you have something for me? When I'm most vulnerable, Lord, is my faith strong enough to believe that you can do something for me? Today's two, first two readings, I think, show us two examples, and they can translate well into our life, especially in our world today. They can translate well into what, those, what two of those times of the biggest vulnerabilities might look like. In our first reading, Job. Now, if you ever want to pick me up, if you ever want to read Scripture and just feel like good about your life, uh, don't read the book of Job, all right? If you know about the book of Job, I'll give you a little background. The book of Job begins with God and Satan having a conversation. And God and Satan are talking and Satan says, look how corrupt this hum these human beings are. And God says, yeah, but wait, 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 I got my servant Job. Not Job, Job. And my buddy Job is a, is a faithful man. He's a good man. He follows me. He has, strong, he has a strong faith in me. And it's never shaken. He's never doubted me. And Satan looks at God and says, of course he does. Because look at all the stuff he has. Job is a man that has, he's, he's rich. He's got land, he's got cattle. He's got a big family. He's got all of the status, all of the power, all of the, all of the possessions, all of the things of the world that would say that he's secure and strong and good. He's got blessings upon blessings. And Satan looks at God and says, of course he's, he, he's easily faithful to you. Look at all the comfort he has. Look at all the things you've blessed him with. And God says, God says he would be faithful anyway. Satan responds, he says, great, then let me tempt him. Let me take away what he has. And God says, you can, just don't touch him. And in the subsequent chapters of Job, we hear him lose everything. He loses his family. He loses his crops. He loses his possessions. He loses his cattle. He loses everything. He's attacked. And he, can, he loses. He goes from everything to nothing in a couple of chapters. Now I don't know if you and I, I don't know if if you have ever felt this way, but but it can be overwhelming. When we get overwhelmed with loss, we we can tra we can really relate to Job, I think. Where where I, it, Lord, sometimes I feel like I got everything and everything's perfect and everything's good, but there are sometimes that things just aren't 
and, it, and it's overwhelming. I feel like I've lost something. I think in the last, we, we, we're coming up five weeks from now, we're going to have an anniversary of lockdown. I don't think we have to look past the last year to see how much we could say we've lost at different times. Might be a loved one. Might be a, a sense of security. Might be a sense of peace. sense of hope. Might be something practical and real, that pushing a wedding back. Or going to a funeral where you had to wear a mask with only ten people and everybody, everybody distanced. I think a lot of us, I think what has happened in this last year, our culture has been overwhelmed by the bad news. And what happens when, oftentimes when we're overwhelmed, we usually have a couple of reactions to that. The first thing is, is when I'm, over, when I'm hurting, when I'm suffering, I get overwhelmed with it, I want to, one, find a release. I want to find an escape. I want to get out of this feeling. Well, when you're trapped at home, when there's no really hope that we're going to open back up or that life is going to get back to normal anytime soon, we can find an escape in things that don't really help us. It might be an escape into gossip. It might be an escape into worldly things and watching politics, way, getting involved with politics way too much. It might be something like alcohol or pornography or something. There's a lot of things that we can go to just to find a momentary release, a momentary escape from the, what's overwhelming me. The other thing, that whenever that doesn't help us, when that, that we don't feel that, what oftentimes we want to do is we want to blame. So I'm looking for an escape, and the escape doesn't happen, and even though I go to these empty wells, and I try and drink, and there's nothing there, I need something, so it's easier to blame and point the finger. And it's those people's fault. All the people pushing a conspiracy, or this, or that. I think oftentimes we can, we can relate really, really well to Job. And the reason why is because we can lose things that are outside of our control. And it can leave us vulnerable. Do we allow the Lord to speak into the vulnerability? Our second reading today, St. Paul He's talking to the Corinthians. In the last couple of weeks, we've heard St. Paul talking to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians are, they're addicted to status. You see, the Corinthians, there was this kind of rivalry between Corinth and Athens. Because Corinth was kind of this little podunk town, and they kind of had a chip on their shoulder, and they wanted to show that they were just as good or better than the people in Athens. And they wanted to kind of make sure that they looked the part and did the thing and that they were just as good and just as worthy as the, as the cultural center that was Athens, right? Well, what happens is, is that Corinth, they get addicted, the Corinthians get addicted to the externals of life. And St. Paul, the last, week, the last few weeks, has been calling out this addiction to the externals. Because he's basically saying, he says, if you have a facade that looks beautiful, but there's nothing behind it, it's nothing. It's burned away. It's going away at the end of your life. Like, you want the, like he's basically calling him out. He says, you want the perfect wife, you want the perfect house, you want the perfect status, you want the perfect everything. You just want to be seen as perfect, but if there's nothing behind it, then, then, it's, then it's burning away with this world. It's passing. 
Now, I, I don't know if we can relate to that as well as, other, as, as the Corinthians. Like, it might be hard for us to think that we can relate to that, but this idea of a facade and wanting to look perfect despite what's behind, that's essentially social media. That's Instagram or Facebook. That, that's legitimately, it's, it's, I want to put out a persona, I want to put out a life that's supposed to look perfect and look right and be okay and everything's fine and it's just as simple as hitting next and it's gone. It's passing away. I think sometimes we can find security in the things that are passing and think that that's going to help us with our vulnerability. But it doesn't. Today when we come to Mass, today when we're at this point, at this season in our year, as we approach the Lenten season, we have an opportunity to allow God to speak into our vulnerability. So if you are relating with Job, and you're, you know what, my life has been kind of a mess the last year, the last month, the last week, the last ten years, whatever it is. If you're relating to Job that, you know what, there's been a lot that's been taken from me, there's a lot of changes that have been, that have been forced upon me, there's a lot of things that are not right and they've been out of my control, God wants to speak to your vulnerability. If you find yourself in a place like the Corinthians, where you know what, my life needs to look perfect. God wants to give you real security. Not in a facade that's passing, but in a life that's full. I think this Lent is giving us an opportunity this year, the world is giving us, our culture, our, our little corner of the world, it's giving us a chance to enter into Lent the way the rest of the world does normally. Because no matter how bad we want it, Lockport Parade ain't happening next Saturday. No matter how much we, we, we enjoy Mardi Gras, it doesn't matter how many king cakes she eat this year, it, it, it's not quite Mardi Gras. It's not the same thing. We have 10 days until Ash Wednesday. We have 10 days roughly until Lent begins. We have 10 days to allow the God, to be in touch with our own vulnerability so we can invite God in. In Lent, there are three things that we do. We pray, we give, and we fast. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, that's the three movements of Lent. So we pray, we give, and we fast. I've got a challenge for you this week. For the next 10 days, take five minutes a day and ask God, God, as I approach Lent, how do you want me to pray, to give, and to fast? As a family, how do you want us to pray, to give, and to fast? Not, not I want to pray this way because it's what I always do. I'm going to add a rosary, I'm going to add a Divine Mercy Chaplet, and that's it, And because I always do that during Lent. Not that. Not give like, oh, 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 I just need to write another check and it's fine. No, like, whether it be your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever. Well, how, how do you want me to give? And fast, it's not, I'm not giving up chocolate this year because I gave up chocolate last year and the year before, or like I did when I was six years old, give up barbecue-laced potato chips. 
And it's got to be barbecue laced potato chips, so I eat sour cream and onion and regular. But it, it, not, not that kind of give, because it's what I always do. But God, where, where, how do you want me to pray? What is it, where do you want me to spend time in prayer before you? Where is it that I need to invite you into my life? Give. How, how is it that you want me to give? We all have the same amount of time. We, might not have different, we, we may have different bank accounts, but we all have the same exact amount of time. Where do I invest it? Where do I give it? That might be, I, I give my time away from social media to, to be with my family, to read, to refocus, and to fast. What is it that we're taking security in that's not really offering it? What is it that we go to, what empty well do we go to, whether that be sinful or not? What is the thing that we go to to try and satiate the thirst that is our vulnerability? Where is it that we try and kind of put a band-aid for ourselves on our vulnerability where I don't need to be in touch with other things? The last month, I'm just letting you know, I've taken the news off and I've tried to get off of social media as much as possible. I'm a much happier person. I'm just letting you know. What is it that I need to step away from that's getting in the way of God speaking to my vulnerability? I think if we allow God to direct our lint, if we allow God to speak to those places of our heart that are weakest, those places of our heart that are really struggling, those places of our heart that need Him or are crying out to Him, if we allow God to speak to Him, we, we can approach this lint as the most profound moment of your life to this point. God truly wants to work a miracle in every single one of our lives. And if there's anything we have this year, it's time and space to let him. Is our faith strong enough to believe that God can speak to and heal the vulnerable spots of our life. Ten days. How to pray, how to give, and how to fast. And let's let God speak to the vulnerable corners of our hearts.